Hi, this is Julie. This is Liz. This is Sheila. This is Monica. This is Leanne. We are the Satellite Sisters. You are listening to Satellite Sisters to Go. You are listening to Satellite Sisters. It is June 2nd, um, 2015. I'm Leanne Dolan here in Pasadena, California. I'm with my sister Julie in Dallas, Texas. Julie, I heard you unbought a house this weekend. I'm sorry. Yes. That's, that sounded like a good, I was really psyched for you. It sounded like a good little spot, but not yeah, It was out. a house that turned into a houseboat, Leanne. So <laughs> I, I've, I've moved on. I've moved on. But it's okay. But I do, I do want to publicly thank you. You know, last week I came out to Los Angeles. I wanted to spend time uh, with my cousins, with the passing of our cousin Ann Morningstar. And uh, I showed up at your house midweek. And I just want everybody to know, first of all, Leanne has a fabulous guest room that you can stay in. It really is great. But the thing at Leanne's house, midweek, midweek dinner, it's hot, okay? I had this fabulous uh, grilled chicken and then two sides with the dinner. I mean, who does that, Leanne? Only you, Leanne Dolan. So I I thank you for um, all of your nourishment and your support and uh and uh, keep up the good work with those midweek dinners. Thank That's you. what I'm saying. Thank you very much. I, I like to credit the Satellite Sisterhood for providing all those cucumber recipes. We yes. had the That's cucumber right. dill Greek yogurt salad again with the it grilled was, chicken. It was it was, it was really tasty. good. Very tasty. Yes, that was a uh, a quick trip, but w- worthwhile. Worthwhile. Always worth it. Always worth it to just take a moment to pause in your life to think of someone who meant a lot. So. Um, <laughs> But we are moving on. We have a very full show. You know, it was the season finale of Outlander, so we'll get to it. But before we get to the darkest episode in television history, we, we're we going to try to do some light stuff. We're going to lighten up a tiny bit. Oh, we got some we got some breaking tris- Triscuit news. The Triscuit um, juggernaut just keeps growing here on Satellite Sisters. Uh, Julie has an unbelievable story about what a doctor was wearing at a, at a checkup, uh, personally experienced that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, I have a new trend, uh, that you can watch for in your own whole foods grocery store, Julie. Oh, uh, I'm excited about that. Lee. Yeah. First to have it here in Pasadena, but it may be coming to your whole foods. Uh, the economist. Yes. It's a Tuesday show, but we are going to talk about an article in The Economist about uh, men adrift. It's a cover yeah, story. Yeah, it's all over for men. I'm, that's, I'm really sorry about it, but they're in big trouble, Leon. And I have some issues with mandatory community service. <laughs> so, whoo. But I have to say, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about yesterday's biggest story. It broke the internet. The, the new pictures of Caitlyn Jenner, formerly Bruce Jenner, we got a first peek at the cover of Vanity Fair, additional photos. Uh, I watched the interviews on Good Morning America today, Julie, with uh, Buzz Bissinger, who wrote the cover story for Vanity Fair. I did not sign up for the digital version, though, to read the cover story ahead of time because I share a Vanity Fair subscription with my in-laws. So they read it first and then drop it off at my house. Well, but isn't I'll, that a nice It family. is nice. It's nice. Okay. Uh, so, but anyway, first impressions of the Caitlyn Jenner pictures. What would you think? Well, I, I didn't know who they were talking about at first. I, <laughs> okay, I didn't see. I was I out of the country. I was out of the country, land, literally out of the country well, during when he had Bruce uh, or when Caitlin had her uh, big interview with Diane Sawyer. Oh, okay. So I kind of I was a little behind the scene. I, I just saw those. I saw the pictures come up on Facebook. I was like, well, who's that, Caitlin? 
Is she some new movie star I missed? I, I didn't know who she was. Okay. So, but then I, then it all fell into place and you know, if this is what Caitlin wants to do, go for it. I, it is a little, I, I have to say it's mind bending for me. Okay. I just, I, I just, the whole transformation, it's mind bending. I'm, I, I think that's the purpose of that kind of cover and what Vanity Fair is trying to put out there, what Caitlin is trying to uh, personally tell people, uh, and it, it's working. Uh, that's <laughs> Minds are being bent. Yeah, I think yes. that's a fair assessment. I mean, right, it is dramatic. It's a dramatic before and after of someone yeah. that we thought we knew very well. And, you know, they are all of a sudden there they are in a Madonna bustier. It's, it's very dramatic. It's very dramatic, but I think that is the point of the whole public uh, transformation and the Vanity Fair cover and the upcoming TV show and the cover story. I read that they're doing not a lot of interviews, but just a couple of well-placed interviews. Uh, yeah, it's super, it's super dramatic. I really, I looked at it yesterday. I had to sit with it and I'm like, okay, well, I was hoping for Goldie, but all right, Caitlin's fine. That's fine. That's what you want to go with. Caitlin with the C, which I think is. Yes, but also with the Y, which is not the correct Gaelic spelling. So, you know, as someone with a Gaelic name, I feel like we have to hold the line. But okay, Caitlin, if you want to spell it with the Y, that's a lifetime of pain. I'm just telling you right there. That's not going to be spelled right. (laughs) And I I did hear today on Good Morning America, someone refer to Caitlin as a fashion icon. And I just think that's too soon. I mean, that's too soon, right? I mean, it seems early. I mean, yeah. this is her first cover. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah. it's really uh, the first time because in the uh, interview with Diane Sawyer was uh, what was her attire? Was uh, it was well, more it modest? Was, was, it, it, was he she was, wearing boost, bustiers in no, the interview? No, he was, a, he was Bruce then. So he was okay. just in, in male clothes. He hadn't okay. gone through the 10. He's done 10 hours. Okay. He, she, now she has done 10 out did 10 hours of plastic surgery on their face and got the breast implants. So there was surgery after the uh, Diane um, Sawyer interview. There was apparently a big panic attack like the next day, like, oh my gosh, what have I done? This is, I can't go back. Um, I guess that's very, um, according to a doctor I heard interviewed today, very normal that there's just this giant, what if I've made this giant mistake? Like, what, what if this isn't who I am? And, you know, with therapy, she worked through that. So yeah. I think it's still a long transition, but the immediate effect is kind of mind bending. It does yeah. take a while to sort of wrap your head around what happened. But, um, I thought just the simple phrase, I'm free was very powerful. Yeah. I think yeah. that's a very powerful concept. Yeah. You know, people reach that point in their lives at various times that right. where they feel like I am finally the person I meant to be. And some people never get there and that's sad. So, yeah. Uh, so I mean that's I wish her well. I I will have to say as the oldest satellite sister um, uh, that uh, Caitlin's a couple of years older than me, but she's really kicked the game up. For, <laughs> I know she for has people for for women in their sixties. Okay, okay, because not many of us could do do the bustier on the cover of Vanity Fair. Okay, where we really gotta you know, we gotta work. You know, so uh, and her arms are ripped. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And, and her legs are very shapely. So, uh, so, um, so it's it, she's it's a very strong statement. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. Now to the cover of the Economist. Uh, I know it's a Tuesday show. We usually do lighter topics, but this this article has actually come up uh, for discussion amongst a bunch of my friends. So, Julie, you brought this to the show. Yes, what, I did. Because give us a recap. A, I haven't okay, actually this, read the article yet. It's in uh, in the Economist. It's the cover story. It's Men Adrift. 
no family, no jobs, no prospects, that this is badly educated men in rich countries. So it's not just the United States, but also in Europe as well, have not adapted to trade, technology, or feminism. And this is a, you know, it's a long story, got lots of facts, lots of statistics, and it's happening, you know, across the, you know, across the world in these rich countries. But essentially, men that, you know, blue collar men that uh, usually were heads of their households and had, you know, had jobs with the shifting of the economy. First of all, you were, you know, jobs that used to take like 100 men now take 10 men. So, mm-hmm. you know, that that's a whole shrinking pool of, you know, of, of jobs where you no longer need just the brute strength of a physical strength of men. Uh, so that that is number one. Number two, men, you know, they are they're not going to college as much as women. If you right. look at the if you look at the rates of who is graduating from colleges, getting advanced degrees, you know, the it's now women are, you know, are more than the majority uh, graduating for college. So that's a problem. They're not getting trained in skills. And so that's it. In fact, in the 30 occupations expected to grow in the next, you know, uh, in the next 20 or the next 10 to 15 years, 20 of those occupations are currently dominated by women. Oh, so really? Nurse, nursing, accounting, food prep, child care, fields where they're going to be, they're going to be job openings. They're going, they're going to need skilled workers that you need to be degreed in these, in these fields. And men are not going into these fields. And this is where the growth is. And they are failing to adapt to the, to this changing marketplace, you know, so it's a problem. Uh, added to that, you have feminism, that women are out earning their, you know, earning their keep, land. Oh, they, feminism. Well, I mean, you know, I mean. I it's, know, right. We're, it's, uh, it's, it's working. It's working it's for working. us. Yes, mm-hmm. that, you know, women are out there. They're earning their keep. They do not need to be married to, you know, to have a successful career. They, you know, they don't need to be married to have children. You know, more children are now being born out of wedlock than in wedlock. So the man's role in the home, the traditional role of a man in a home, has certainly changed. And women are just better educated than men. They're pickier. They don't, you know, they want to meet their match. And so, uh, you know, they're less likely to be interested in men that have less education, less skills than they do. So, um, and then men, if they lose a job, let's say they lose a job because these jobs have, you know, disappeared, they've been consolidated that men have a much harder time asking for help or using help to in order to retrain. Hmm. Okay, number one, they don't want to talk about it. Okay, does this sound familiar, Lynn? Yeah. Number does. two, uh, you know, it could be any number of things. Uh, number two, they don't know. They don't want to talk about it, like in their relationship as well, so that it it affects you know their partners or their spouses. They don't want to go to counseling. They don't want to go to job retraining. And this is where women really do exceed uh, men in terms of their ability to adapt, you know, to go back to school, to get additional training, to go see the job counselor, to see the personal counselor. What, what's happening is we're, we're ending up with like an angry group of men that are, you know, they're no longer needed in the home. They're no longer, you know, there are less positions for them in the workplace. And they are, you know, dropping out of the educational system. 
Is it? So and that's yeah. I mean, I heard some statistics about the unemployment rate in Greece, for instance, amongst like men eighteen to twenty-five a couple weeks ago. And there's a country that's been in economic turmoil, but it's like eighty percent unemployment for men of yes. that age group. And you think, how is that even possible? How is that? What are they doing all day? How is that even possible? You can see how that would completely upend sort of a, a lot of things from their personal point, of, you know, from their personal self-esteem to, you know, the whole social structure. Yeah, so they, what's, what's the explanation? So what's the fix, Julie? Well, this is what I was, I kept reading this article and getting more and more depressed. Like, okay, so what are we going to do? How right. are we going to fix this? Because we're raising of, men. We have men. Yes. Yes. So <laughs> I know. It's all I we know. got. We just, we are solely dependent on the men in our lives in terms of what we got. We don't got any daughters. Well, you have not, you have lovely daughters-in-law. Yes, I know. That's it. But I, we, we just we got the, the men. We have the men. Uh, well, the the list of fixes is 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 sadly really small. I mean, they're you know they said that we should now make the schools uh, schools more boy friendly, and which you know again it's like well wasn't that what the schools were to begin with? And then we made them friendly for girls. So now they're now not friendly for boys. They said they need more uh, male role models. You know, so they need to see more male teachers. They need to see ma- men in the lower in, grades, right? In, the lower in particularly grades. elementary yes. school yes. teachers. But, yeah, but that and then you know, and that they need more jobs programs and social outreach. You know, but again, this is the kind of thing that they're documenting. Men do not want. You know, <laughs> I know. I'm laughing. They don't want to go to these programs. They don't want to ask for help. Um, They don't want the social outreach. So it is pretty depressingly. And I mean, uh, that uh, the list of fixes or recommendations in this article is pretty short. And it's, you know, they're long term fixes to say, okay, well, let's try to find more men to be teachers Teachers. in in lower schools, you know, and, uh, you know, but what that doesn't help the men in the workforce now that are not working and are just hanging around. Uh, so one of the aspects of this article I was discussing with my friend is who walked around the Rose Bowl because she has boys as well. And one of them is struggling to sort of get through college. And she's like, I got to get that kid through college <laughs> because if he doesn't get a college degree, that is a very dim prospect for him after reading this article. But she also said there's just a general an unwillingness of men, if they, for instance, in the healthcare field where there are a lot of jobs, some of them are not glamorous. You know, they're bad jobs where you're in a, a nursing aide or an assistant if you don't have an RN. That um, that women will just show up and do a job they don't like to do because that's the way women are built. We just get it done yeah. and then get over it. But men stop showing up. They just <laughs> they just won't do stuff they don't want to do. Yeah, and but- I am reminded of that every day when I talk to my teenage boys, <laughs> not to make light of this, but it is true. I see the direct line. So, well, Julie, uh, I don't know what to say. What do you- I mean, I think, I think you have to support the men in your life. I mean, you, and yeah. you have to, you know, you have to really try to lift, lift them up individually. That's what we have to do. But it does seem like a, you know, that this article defines a real crisis right. and the implications of men adrift are not good. They're not good for our society. They're not good for our economy. They're not good for our children or our future. So, you know, this, yeah, is, this is more than just an equaling out of the sexes, right? This correct. is an actual crisis. Yeah. Right. This, that's what, the, that's what they, and you know, that, and that it's particularly acute in sort of blue collar men that we, you know, that we are not, 
you know, we haven't really, you know, put the focus on, you know, community colleges. I know that was a big emphasis of the Obama administration, and I really applauded that because I think it's a great pathway for a lot of people to get additional training and degrees that, you know, probably wouldn't, you know, that are, you know, wouldn't be good candidates for, you know, some other type of, you know, educational system. But and that it's really helped a lot of people move, you know, get a, you know, climb up the ladder of success by going to community colleges. So they're really valuable. But it obviously starts much earlier, you know, and that if you don't have male role models in the home, you know, and if you don't, if you don't see men around you working, right. uh, I mean, I, I'll just tell you, Urban Nana in my uh, winter in Brooklyn, um, I'll just say I'm, I'm calling it Sesame Street. That's uh, that's that's where uh, my granddaughter Josephine Lee lives in Brooklyn. She lives on Sesame Street. There are a lot of like working age men hanging around on the street during the uh, during the day. I don't know. Maybe they have night jobs. Maybe they have split shifts. I can't say that. Could they all be screenwriters? Is that because? <laughs> That's what they're all doing here. Maybe, may, I mean, yeah, yeah. That's what I guess everyone in the Starbucks in uh, in your neighborhood is doing. Yeah, is yeah. But you do see a lot of men, yeah. hanging around. Yeah. And in the Economist article, they profile a town in Mississippi where only forty seven percent of the men in the working age eligible men, men that are you know able bodied working men, had jobs. You know, yeah. and that's that's a huge problem. Right. So, right. Um, so I think we have to start one man at a time, Lee, and one boy at a time. That's okay. all we can do. I mean, I was disappointed when I got to the end of this article that there wasn't like more of a platform about, okay, how do we, you know, how do we lift men up? It is ironic that we have to lift men up, yeah. right? Yes. Isn't it? Yes. I mean, that's, a, yes. I think, I think once people get over their resentment, then they, they, and then, then they will try one man at a time, but it, it is. Um, I will put a link to the article in The Economist. I can see it's a long, detailed article. It looks like it's worth reading, uh, no matter what you're doing, what, even if you're raising uh, daughters. It <laughs> looks like it's important reading. Yeah, because they're going to be probably looking for mates down yeah. the road. So yeah. uh, that's, that's important. They're going to run into men from, some t- from time it's, to time. At some point in your life, you do. You have to encounter <laughs> some men. Well, I mean, I, it's not a direct line, but this week we were in mandatory community service hell. I'll just say it. There's really there's no other way to say it. You know, I have and long. Who's we? Who's and, we? Well, it is for my 17 year old son. He goes to a school where 30 hours of community service is required, and it is a big. That seems reasonable, Leanne. It is, is. You know, again, Julie, it all sounds reasonable. If 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 they do it, it's not that much time to do. But one of the caveats of this school, because it's run by the Franciscan order, uh, that it has to be, quote, Franciscan hours, meaning in service to the poor. So you can't. Well, that's good. I like that. Lou. Again, it's good. It's just not actually sometimes that easy or convenient to find service to the poor. It's generally um, things that are open for high school kids. It's usually food banks and serving breakfast and things like that, which is hard to do on a school night or a week, you know, school day. So it's entirely possible. I'm not saying that he shouldn't have done it. I'm just saying that it to leave it till the last weekend. Before. Oh, well, that's that's natural. Yeah. I mean, it's like reading, doing your all your summer reading, you know, school list, uh, like the last weekend before the start of school. Yeah, I can see this happening. Yeah, except what happens then is that the community service becomes punitive. <laughs> you know, so and for many years I have 
I've been suspicious of mandatory community service long before either one of my sons was in a school that had mandatory community service, just because I tend to think the people that are drawn to volunteering and community service are are people that are drawn to volunteering and community service. I'm not sure mandatory hours are going to rub off on any kid who doesn't have a natural interest. There are lots of kids, from what I can see, that have a natural interest in, you know, helping animals and sending bikes overseas to orphans in Kenya, like some of my son's friends. They've started a nonprofit, and they're sending bikes to orphans. It's called Bikes for Orphans, and that's what they're doing. And they're genuinely interested in that. And from what I can tell, my son is not genuinely interested in helping other people. It's a character flaw. I admit it. I'm not (laughs) proud. That he but doesn't don't you think care. that the exposure to the community service no. might engender, no. you know, uh, like a greater sensitivity of of people that have, you know, less than he has no. and things like that? Not that he isn't sensitive to begin with. I mean, I, I do think he has this, you know, that the sensitivity towards others, Liam. But he no, just I, I really don't think it has rubbed off. I mean, that's what I've seen with both my sons. It's been, they're both nice boys. Anyone who met them would say, oh, they're nice kids. But that's different than wanting to serve somebody else outside themselves. They do the stuff that they're interested in. They, you know, they volunteer for the groups that they're interested in, but that doesn't count towards this mandatory community service thing. So I did a straw poll on Twitter because he managed to get all his hours in, not with, not without a lot of yelling and screaming and going deep. You know, one of the things like my son's school said, they cannot use their hours over the summer. He did a hundred hours of community service last summer, but that's not inconvenient enough. Like part of their ethos is that the community service hours have to be sort of inconvenient. It is, it is a sacrifice. So you can't conveniently do it over the summer when it's easy to make out the time and when you're not going to school and stuff like that. So long story short, he, he put together a package. He got his hours in. But I did a straw poll at, on Twitter uh, to see, like, who's with me? I just... I think the kids that are going to benefit from community service and that are into it are already doing it. We didn't have mandatory community service hours growing up. I mean, I didn't go to a Catholic school, but you did. Did you? Yes, we did, Leon. We had mandatory community service. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I yeah. didn't go to a Catholic school, but so, and, and it wasn't like a resume builder, though I don't recall it, but I certainly did a lot of it. But I, I just think forcing kids to do community service, and now it starts at crazy ages, like second and third grade, they have all these you know, organizations you can join and you can win points and service medals. That all just seems a little creepy when you're eight, nine years old. I, I don't know. I like the, again, I like the idea of giving back if it's genuine. I think this mandatory stuff has not been successful and for me or other people. It's the bane of our existence for some of us. And so I asked on the straw poll, only Professor Allen responded, but he's with me. He does. He is. He's, yeah. he, he thinks it. Uh, well, Leanne, let me ask this. So your son at the end of this torturous weekend yes. of community yes. service, how did he feel? Did he, you know, did he have any reflection on the people he was working with or anything like that? No. Any okay. learning? Here's, any here's, growth? here's how it went down. Because it's service oh. to the poor, we had to do uh, three food banks, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night. And I love the word. I love that you're the pronoun we. Okay. Well, we had to because he's not 18, oh. so he couldn't volunteer at some of these. That's what I mean. Like, it's not actually that convenient. 
But you can't just like show up at food banks and start serving food. That doesn't happen, actually. There are many of them you have to like apply and you have to commit for a year. There are very few opportunities where you can just show up and work a couple of hours. So the two that we did, there someone over 18 had to be with him. So that would be me because he's only 17. Uh, so at least I took his friend and we worked at a food bank in downtown Los Angeles, an amazing center that provides um, breakfast six days a week and then a food bank for other people, uh, again, six days a week. And uh, it was a long shift and we, you know, we got the produce and we put it out and I had to man the front table. Boy, whoo, it was a it was lot. They the front table was outside where they were. Um, they had clothing and a few household items to give away, but you were supposed to do that after you went through the food bank. There were some rules, and so I had to be the gatekeeper. And I, I'm just saying, people were. It was it was a lot for me. I had to. I had to come down hard, which is stupid. Put down the hammer on these people? Yes. I mean, it was stupid. But anyway, it was very stressful. (laughs) But I said as we're driving home in the car, I was like, did you learn anything, boys? Because you have to write a reflection. And his friend said, well, I learned that people don't want one-pound bags of peeled garlic. Because that that was one of the options that's good to know in yeah. terms of things that's, you really should donate you know useful things yeah that's that's a good point William. someone okay. so uh, you know but we talked a little bit about it and i said you know one of the things to think about is those people had to take public transportation to get to that food bank you know what we gave them was 20 or 30 dollars worth of produce uh they stood in line for that. They got on public transportation. They brought their kids because they don't have anyone else at home to watch the kids. And that 20 or $30 worth of food is the difference between them eating this week and not eating this week. And so they both went, oh, that's good. We'll put that on the slip. You know, <laughs> they have to fill out the form. So I don't know. Maybe it'll sink in, Jewel. Yeah. But in the meantime, it was a lot. So. Yeah. I mean, I feel like some everybody finds their area of interest at some point. Most people do in terms of service. I don't know. We got it done. We got it done. That's all. That's all okay. that matters. But it's, it wasn't the inspiring situation that that it was set out to be. No, but, I, yeah. you know, I mean, not not when you know, not when he leaves it till the last minute, and that's one hundred percent his fault. There's nobody. There's no. I. It's one hundred percent his fault. He had a million opportunities during the year, but I just think this 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 emphasis on community service if kids are not into it is i i it's so not genuine i don't know what the value is but it's i'm sure that's a controversial all right well stand. we would like to hear your your uh, you know yeah. your comments yeah. opinions about I'm, this i'm open to that i mean i yeah. know it changes kids life and i know there are eagle scouts and girl scouts that do like a million hours of community service and then there are other kids that don't want to do it so so just like some kids are good at sports and some kids aren't, or some kids enjoy, you know, being part of the, I don't know, the band and other kids can't play an instrument. I think it's an option. I don't think it should be mandatory. That's the best way to put it. All right. All right. All right. Good. Good report, Lee. And should we turn to talk about Paris for a second? Oh, Lee? yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because we, we, why not? Right. Why right. not talk about Paris? Big news coming out of Paris that they have, they have taken down the locks on the bridge. This is on the Pont des Arts. You know, they have all... Oh, I've seen photos of that bridge. You've yep. seen this. this yep. It's very romantic. You you and your lover, you go to, to this bridge. Uh, you've, you've etched your initials into a lock. 
You lock the lock onto the bridge and then you throw the key into the Seine. I mean, it's great. Isn't that, that's wonderful. But here's the problem. They have 45 tons of locks on the bridge now. It is, it is undermining, undermining the structure of the bridge. And so they decided they're going to take it down. And they did this week. They dismantled where people have been um, putting their locks and I guess they're going to put it in a warehouse because they don't know what to do with all the locks, you know? They haven't, they didn't like throw those away, but they're no longer there. But I didn't realize that this, this didn't start, this started in the early 2000, uh, that this is, you know, that this love lock movement and that. Oh, I didn't I, know I, anything about that. I didn't know that. Yeah, I see. It, well, I mean, the first love lock started much longer, a hundred years ago, and it's a Serbian tale, and I knew you'd like that of of heartbroken sweethearts that that pledge their love to to each other at the beginning of World War One. But of course, the soldier went off to war and met somebody in Greece, and so there you go. Uh, that that didn't turn out that well. But people do it in a number of diff- different cities. In Rome, they have, you know, they put locks on bridges. Moscow, instead of putting it on a, on a bridge, they have an iron tree, they, a metal tree. And people put the locks up in the tree and then throw, um, throw the keys into a little canal. Uh, Canada, they do it on the wild Pacific Trail land. And oh, people that's don't- bad. That's nice, but other people find it as a front to nature. No, yeah, I'm not and, for that. I, I, I just, I'm, just as I've taken a stance against community service, I also like to take a stance against public defacement. Yes, I don't okay, care what yeah. the intent is. I just, it's not your bridge. Get the lock off. It's not your tree. <laughs> I know, I'm not right. for it. I'm not okay. for it, Julie. Not You're not for it. For it. Okay. I'm not romantic uh, about this. It's just public defacement. It's yes. no, it's no different than graffiti. Okay. All yeah. Right. That's it. All right. Okay. Well, I guess that's pretty much my report anyway. Well, how do you feel? I, I, I really, I guess I, I guess I agree with you, Leanne. I mean, um, you know, it seems kind of romantic, but, but you don't want to, uh, you know, it's not, it isn't your bridge. You should, you know, it is, you know, you, and you shouldn't like ruin the Ponte Vecchio in Florence with your, with your stupid lock. Right. right. Or, or that's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. But man. It seems to me they're doing it in Atlanta, like on the Cherokee Avenue bridge over I-20. I have no problem with that. You can do it there. Right. That doesn't, that doesn't seem that special to me to put, to make, pledge your love there. But p- apparently that's what people in Atlanta do. So, um, but, but I think if it's somewhere nice, okay, maybe that's my rule. If it's somewhere nice, don't do it. But okay. over the I-20, fine. Knock yourself out. You know, Julie, there's a whole website called NoLoveLocks.com where it's for people like me. Free your love, save our bridges. Yeah. I, I'm going to sign the petition at change.org because I'm not for it. Okay. I mean, that bridge doesn't even look good. There are a million locks. It's not even pretty. It's just, it's not good. Okay. <laughs> okay. Oh, there's a whole site on where other lock problems are. See? Yeah, there are there are other lock problems. And maybe we could solve that problem, Leon. <laughs> That's it's a, good a great community, community service, service project. Exactly. Because like, like, I care about it. I <laughs> devote the rest of my life to people not defacing bridges with their stupid love locks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, <Alrighty>. sister. <laughs> okay. Well, good report, uh, Julie. Thank- okay, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Leon. <laughs> I was trying to cheer you up after the community service. No. 
testy. I am a little testy. Okay. Um, you got some food trends for us I today? do. This should make you smile. This, to me, is like the two worlds of our sister Sheila Dolan crashing together in one beautiful event. <laughs> because, you know, um, Sheila, though she pretends to cook, she, she really doesn't cook. She cooks like one or two she meals a week. She doesn't even boil water. She doesn't make a cup of coffee. I know. Again. Like, if she cooks one chicken breast, we hear about it for six months. I mean, that's just the way it rolls with Sheila. She, she orders out tea. Yeah. Who does that? I know. I know. So she gets, she does a lot of grab and go meals. So one of her favorite places I know in Pasadena is uh, our Whole Foods. Now our Whole Foods is two stories. It's, it was when it was put in a couple of years ago, the largest Whole Foods west of the Mississippi. I mean, it's a dramatic structure. Sheila's talked about it quite a bit on the show. The, pretty much the whole bottom floor is super expensive produce and yoga pants. I mean, there's just a whole clothing department there. There are changing rooms. You can get a massage at the Whole Foods and that's just downstairs. And then you go upstairs and there are several restaurants inside the store. There's a sushi bar, there's a pizza bar, and there's a 50 seat wine bar where you can have wine and beer. And, you know, there are bands that play at our Whole Foods on Saturday night and singles groups that meet there. So when you're- It's a lifestyle, right? It is. I mean, that's what they want. They want it to be you know, where you go on Saturday night for a good time. And um, when your son was in town, Julie, they were looking for the Whole Foods. They they thought they'd stop by and pick up dinner and, and their phones were dead. So they couldn't find it. I'm like, you would have never gotten out of our Whole Foods. It's so big and it's so overwhelming. And but in between all the yoga pants and the massage therapy and the, the wine bars, it's actually hard to find the food in that Whole Foods. So I heard a report last night that um, the Whole Foods in Pasadena is the first to do this in the country. They now have a full slate of stand-up comedians actually <laughs> performing at the Whole Foods. <laughs> Sheila can, like, go do a set, get a massage, pick up some yoga pants and some expensive body spray, and then buy, get her grab-and-go meal. That, that, is a, that is the two worlds of Sheila Dolan meeting. She's been wanting to sort of get back up on stage and do yeah. more material with her stand-up. And now they're doing stand-up at the Whole Foods right up the street. Well, and does it work, does it kind of work like the subway in New York where you just start uh, talking no. or yelling like in the produce aisle or something like that? Or what, how do you how does no. it do you have to sign no, up? No, they have a booker they, who books the sets. It's like three comedians a night. And, you know, they said Los Angeles, it's the resurgence of a golden age of stand-up. It's going to be like the 90s and stand-up's happening all over L.A. now, even in the Whole Foods. So they interviewed the booker on the radio. And, yeah, she's booking three comedians a night. There is no pay, but for Sheila, even more importantly, you get a free meal and a Ooh. Whole Foods gift card. <laughs> so that, now you're talking. This is so. This is right up Sheila's alley. You're exactly right. I mean, she should do that. I know she should do it. I know. Yeah. I'm serious. I think this is it. I think she would really. I think first of all, I think she would kill at the Whole Foods because Ooh. a lot of her material is Whole Foods related, and you have to keep it clean. Uh-huh. Uh, and Which no, is, yeah. yeah, nothing blue. So okay. because it's all it's all foods. <laughs> because there might be a kid in the cheese department who hears you. And all right. <laughs> so there you go. I'm gonna check more into this. I feel like that is a good venue for her. 
that she, I think you should deputize Sheila, uh, deputize yourself as Sheila's agent. Yeah. And just, and just book her right in there. That would be fun. Okay. So there All you right. go. Look for that. And then of course, a follow up on the Triscuits. Uh, oh we, yeah. Well, we have done many Triscuit stories on the air just cause they continue to come at us. Who at a breakneck speed. Uh, last week you reported on the show, Julie, on Martha Stewart's new Triscuit flavor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it is inexplicably sea salt and toasted coconut, coconut right? Yeah. Coconut's going to be big land. That's what we, we uh, 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 figured out. Uh, you know, po- coconut is polarizing though. People <laughs> who do. <laughs> I mean, it is. It's polarizing. If you don't like coconut, you do not like coconut. <laughs> you know, it's not like everyone loves salt. But not a lot of, you know, people do not like coconut. I mean, like- <laughs> we've talked about some big issues on this show today, <laughs> socioeconomical ones, but, but no, coconut, that's the one. Polarizing. Okay. okay. So, um, so, and Liz, uh, Monica said she wanted hers to be salami dust, which, yeah, which is, is brilliant. Good. That's brilliant. I, and I had been thinking about mine because yeah. I wanted something southwestern Tex-Mex. Yeah. So I want hatch green chili. Um, oh, nice. That's hatch I, green chili triscuits. That's what I want. Oh, that's and a I, good one. I put out a word to Sheila. Yeah. She, she said it's a really big question is that what she wrote back. <laughs> I was like, really? This is just a triscuit flavor. So she was going to think about it. And she has not come up with an answer yet. Okay. So, well, I was going for uh, taste I enjoy on the Triscuit to be baked in. So I wanted like lemon and basil or like a lemon vinaigrette. You know, mm. that's, I, I thought like a lemon vinaigrette cookie would, or cracker would taste great. But Liz mentioned that, of course, balsamic, that's her number one flavoring. Yes. Julie, that Triscuit already exists. Beckett put a picture up on the Facebook page that she secured some balsamic vinegar and basil triscuits. I went right out. Like I, I put the, you know, I was reading a book for our summer reading book series. I put the book down. I ran right out. I got myself a box of these balsamic vinegar and basil triscuits. But there are, there are dozens of triscuit flavor now. I, I had not noticed it because I'm so addicted to triscuits. I just try to grab one box and go, like run down the aisle before I buy another box. So, uh, so I test tasted them and here's the deal. Um, they really taste like balsamic vinegar. Oh, so that is such bad news. Liz will love that. I know they are very balsamic-y. They also have a touch of sweetness, even though they're less than one gram of sugar in each serving of the crackers. So I don't really understand. Now, someone on our Facebook page said she tried them. She thought they tasted like soap, uh, (laughs) which which is not good. That's harsh. That's very that's harsh. Apparently, balsamic vinegar t- uh, flavors are are polarizing as well. Very polarizing. So, uh, but I really enjoyed them. So I bought a box. I enjoyed them. And um, but what I enjoyed the most, Julie, of course, they keep us entertained. You know, Triscuit has been on this roll to try to get us to believe that putting stuff on a Triscuit constitutes a recipe, right? <laughs> right. Yes. So a couple weeks ago, we talked about you know. Triscuit wanted me to make a panini out of a Triscuit. And like, they wanted me to like. You're, you're the girl to do that, Leanne. Yeah. If anyone was going to make a panini out of a Triscuit, it's you. And even me. They wanted me to like roast all these vegetables ahead of time and do this and put feta cheese on it. And then they wanted me to create a little tiny panini out of a Triscuit <laughs> as opposed to just creating it out of pane, a bread. Yeah. So I wasn't going to do that. Well, Julie, on the back of this balsamic vinegar and basil Triscuit box, here's the recipe that Triscuit wants us to make. 
Okay, I got my pen out, Leanne. What are we? What are we going to cook up this week? It's multi steps and involves cooking and involves triscuits. And here it is: it's caramelized onion, pull apart flatbread. <laughs> what? I know. What? So they want you to like caramelize the onions, which, by the way, that takes like an hour, really, that's, to caramelize. That, that's, onions. I was thirty minutes. Yeah. Easily. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. then you're supposed to spread the crackers with cream cheese. All right. Okay. All right. And, that's doable. Okay. And then uh, you arrange them on a baking sheet to form a solid rectangle. And okay. then you just put a lot of, like, cheese all over them to, yeah. to bind them together so that yeah. you can tear them apart. But isn't that the whole point of a cracker? Is that it's, it's the single separate. serving? Yes. It's, it's separate. It's separate. It stands alone, Leanne. Yes. Yeah. So creating a false flatbread to then pull apart, that's just so much work. And then on top of that, they tell you how to chiffonade basil. I mean, Ooh. it's just a cracker, Trisket. Don't get ahead of yourself. So anyway. And, and, you know, just this, the engineering on creating a pull-apart flatbread for, out of a Trisket, that's it. I mean, you're going to have to put a lot of cheese a on A lot that of to, cheese. A lot of cheese. And it's got to be the right cheese and you might have to put cheese underneath and on top of the Trisket to, to, in order to get, because it, it could fall apart. It could, I, I, yes, because it's not flatbread. It's a cracker. It's meant to fall apart. It's a cracker. It's just a single serving of deliciousness. It's not, you don't pull it apart. It's cracker. It is a part. Well, now, you know, now I want to make this thing. Okay. I, I, I am going to go buy myself a box of uh, okay. okay. I don't know what flavor, but I'm going to make one of these things. And I'll, I'll report back on that. Okay. All right. Uh, there's my two cheese, my two food trends. Okay. Lily. Oh, wow. We're already at 40 minutes. So, yes, well, Leanne, I, okay. so just quickly, uh, because I know that, you know, you are, oh, you know, you are always the student, always wanting to, you know, expand your mind. You want to go back to school. Well, I saw an interesting article about um, Scandinavian words that you could integrate into your everyday life. Okay. So, that's, so I immediately thought of you. Lee, yes. That I thought, you know, what you really need is some Norwegian and Swedish words that you can just uh, toss around. Mm, okay. Like so, a smorgasbord. <laughs> A vocabulary smorgasbord. That's what I need. Uh, okay. 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 Well, the first word, Leanne, that I wanted, I want you to work on uh, is uh, trad mord. Trad. <laughs> I think you should work on it first, and then I'll work on it. Okay. It's what? Not, okay. And what literally it means is tree murder. Okay. Trad mord. Trad okay. mord. And this is when. You, you would say this, you'd come into your kitchen, your husband has spilled, uh, spilled a glass of milk on the floor, and he's used 40 paper towels to wipe, wipe up the mess on Ugh. the floor. And you, you would just look at him, put your hands on your hips, and say, it's a trad mord. <laughs> it's a trad mord. Wow. You see that? Did. Yeah, do you think you can work that yeah, in? Yeah, that's okay. like girl with the dragon tattoo. Yeah, that's threatening. <laughs> okay. Okay. Then, then you're just your head is spinning from the trad mord that went on in your kitchen. So you go out and down the hall to your son's room, and you take a look at that whole area where he has his computer and the gaming, oh, and yeah. you notice that it's it, it's 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 you have a cable salat going on there, <laughs> a cable salat. 
Okay, and this is when your cables are so twisted into each other, you can't untwist them. You know, you know, you've yes. got your yes. mind. I think you've got a cable salon going on up in your office. Yes. Okay. Okay. So what you really need, Leon, is more orca. This is an easy word. Say it after me. Orca. Orca. Okay? More whales. That's just having energy. You have oh. to have the energy. You have to have the orca to undo the cable salon. Okay. 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 <laughs> Are you following me? Leanne? Yes. Okay. And then finally, Leanne, uh, this, I know you're going to use this word every day because we do use the Google every day that, um, and that would be the old Google bar. Can you say that please? <laughs> oh, that's a good word. Old Google bar. I don't old care what Google it... bar. That's when you do a Google search and you don't get any results. Oh, it's Google bar. Yeah. Oh, Google bar. <laughs> So go ahead and put in the word salami dust, and perhaps that's an old Google bark. <laughs> okay, those are some good words. Okay, I look forward to hearing them in future podcasts. Tradmore, Cable Salat, Orca, and old Google bark. <laughs> that's Scandinavia in your everyday life, Leon. I know you, I mean, you wear those clogs. I you do. You speak the languages. I do. I do. You're right. You're right. Uh, all right. Do you want to, do you want to oh, save the last one? I'll save that last one. We'll, we'll do that this weekend. We have a okay. burning medical issue, but it can, it can wait until this weekend. Cause we really do have to get to the finale of Outlander. Yes, we do. First, I just want to mention though, uh, that this weekend, actually not this weekend, Friday afternoon, I'm going to be on, um, Robin calls radio show. It's a call in book show in Providence, Rhode Island called reading with Robin, but I think you can stream it live. Uh, I know you can. So I'll put all the information up on Facebook and our website and stuff, but she's always really fun to talk to. And just, if you're a fan of books and, uh, she's a great conversationalist and interviewer with, um, authors. So uh, I will put links to that. You can hear me, but you can also hear lots of other writers talk about their writing. So I'm looking forward to that. Just wanted to let the Satellite Sisterhood know if you're not doing anything Friday afternoon, you can stream that from your computers. All right. It is the season one finale of Outlander. Uh, Last week's episode was dark. It was a precursor to what would be um, an even darker show. And uh, Julie, this is Sister Sasnak, the last one for a couple of months as we process what just happened at the end of season one. Um, Were you ready for this, Julie? Because again, our whole premise is I have read the books, so I knew the brutality that was coming. And there was a trigger warning at the beginning of the show that there would not for kids under 17, that there would be nudity, there would be rape, there would be violence. But were you ready for this episode? No, Leon, I'm out. I am out of Outlander and I'm outraged. Okay. Really? I am outraged, Leon. I am mad. I am offended. I cannot unsee what I saw on this final episode. I feel terrible for our satellite sister, uh, you know, listeners that have followed on with um, Outlander because I think they had to see things that they probably never wanted or uh, to see, you know, and I really felt like used by the director and the producer of this show. I mean, let's, let's, let's just start with like, this show is about like men in kilts and time travel. Okay. Okay. And like some witches and, uh, and you know, I, I just, I was not prepared. I, I just, and, and it was 45 minutes of the episode, Leon. Okay. I felt yeah. like, I mean, that, 
I, I really, I was so upset about, about that. I mean, it was just so difficult to watch everything that was going on. And I just, I, I, you know, 45 minutes, we get it. Okay. I mean, when they kept doing it, I was like, no, I, I was really, I, this, I, I really felt like very used as you didn't uh, think as... they set it up over the course of the season we had seen. So in this episode, if you're not watching, and I know a lot of people are just listening to, to our recaps and not watching the show, which is fine. We appreciate that. So in this episode, you know, we know that Jamie has now traded sort of his life and the life of his body for Claire's safety to the sadist uh, English captain, Captain Jack Randall, who we've seen in the previous uh, episodes, has flogged uh, Jamie nearly to death and really enjoyed it, has sexually tried to sexually assault Claire and seemed to enjoy that. And now he's got his grips into Jamie. So the episode is a physical and psychological assault on Jamie's senses. It is very graphic. They do show the rape. They show other parts of the psychological warfare that Captain Jack Randall uh, terrorizes Jamie with. Uh, they actually show Jamie branding himself, which I thought was the first instance of personal branding. I thought, <laughs> really, brought new... I lost my sense of humor, Lee. Yeah. I had my notepad, and in the opening scene, I did write down F-O-W-S, because we did have a full-on wiener shot. Yes, right yes. The start. But then it, went, then it went so far downhill and dark and it just stayed there you know there was no relief okay uh, okay and i i just i i felt like it was excessive i really didn't feel i felt like you could have communicated the same theme without using your audience uh and abusing your audience well, you know, they did put the warning, so they wanted you to know that. And, you know, you are entitled to your opinion. So it is definitely I, – I read the books for the first time 20 years ago, and there are a lot of books. So I had sort of forgotten some of the details. So when I reread it last year before the series started, the first couple of books in the series, I had sort of forgotten how dramatic this was and how detailed it is in the book and how, you know, in the book it's a long portion of the book, both, you know, the torture by Jack. Randall, but also Jamie's recovery and his coming, you know, out of his post-traumatic stress disorder and re rediscovering Claire. That's a good portion of the, the last few pages of the book. So it's very detailed in the book. So I had sort of forgotten like how shocking it is though. It, it is shocking. And I read an interview with Ron Moore, who's the series creator, uh, and he actually wrote this episode that they really, they thought that they had done a good that they had done an adequate job setting this up that, no. you know, that they prepared. I felt like I felt, felt the week before Leon that, that, you know, that, like that, that was that, enough for you. That was, there was plenty of rape the week before that right. we got it. Okay. Yeah. We got it. That uh, captain Jack Randall is, you know, is a sadist. We got it that he brutalized Jamie. We got it. Okay. I did not need, I, I just, I, I just, I was really upset by that. And my husband, I made him watch it because I was like, it's the finale. Come on. It's going to be great. Oh. Sunday night, you know. And he kept he kept saying is, where's the time machine? Where's where's the time machine? Could they just go into the time machine or something? You know, I mean, I that was, that was my only relief was the fact that my husband just kept calling for the time machine. Um, really? I enjoyed the Scottish monetary style. 
Like, I think that's going to be in the next Pottery Barn catalog. That was good. The spareness, the pewter, the wrought iron. Yes. Dove okay. gray walls of the Scottish monastery where they were recovering. I don't know. I thought that was nice. But you're right. Yes. It was meant to be brutal, and it was brutal. It was, you know... Uh, if you read a lot of, well, I know you don't, Julie, read a lot of historical time travel romances. <laughs> no, but I don't. Even, even sort of any book where there's a romantic male lead, be it a real r- romance or a, histor- a historical novel or any contemporary fiction where there's a strong, sexy male lead, to show him in that position with complete vulnerability that's kind of brave and daring. So I know visually in the book, it just comes across as like, wow, now you really have to go to a place of understanding of their relationship and this character that we've nearly rarely been asked to do before in fiction, you know, in popular fiction. And so I think seeing it was, was much more difficult. Reading it is hard. Seeing it yeah. was a hundred times yeah. harder, a yeah. hundred times harder. I, I, I have to admit, I fast-forwarded through the last bit of the, okay, of the, yeah. of you, the Wentworth prison. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you, you know, and, and they should know that. I mean, that, that I just really feel like they misused the audience. I, I really did. You know, that, that they did not prepare us for that. And then they, you know, they had already made that point. So. Okay. So, no, I'm out. I'm, I just cannot, I cannot go on. I cannot. You can't? That's it? I don't know, Leanne. And then I was They're going to Paris. The, now they're going to Paris. I was furious at that last scene. Like, I was like, oh, now you're going to give me this, you know, the the boat and the sweeping uh, coastline and, and Claire and Jamie in their arms together. And, you know, we're supposed to get back to this romantic time travel thing where we've been doing. Okay, no, I, I just... I was really, I, don't, I just don't know, Leanne. I, I'm going to have to really think about that because I, I, I was very upset by this. Okay. All right. I don't... And, I'm, and I just want to apologize to anyone who watched it because we've been talking about it on the show. I had no idea this was coming. And I don't think uh, you had no idea it was going to be graphic like that, Leon. I didn't. If- I didn't know it was going to be graphic like that. Yeah. I had purposely stayed away from um, any of the articles. I, I actually thought last week because I knew where it was going. I thought last week the implication. I thought we were just going to go to the recovery. I didn't know we were going to see it, and so. Yeah. Um, but they did have the the warning in the beginning. They should have had a warning about that cattle too. That was a stampede <laughs> cattle. That was dis. Ooh, that was I was concerning to me. Uh, that was good. I was like Texas Longhorns in Scotland. <laughs> what are they doing there? Saving the day. Well, I had a lot of funny jokes, but it sounds like you don't want to talk about that. I do. I so leave, never. I no, never mind. I respect that. You're entitled to be just annoyed and mad, and yeah, it did ask you to go places that you had not gone before. I think people thought it was like a romantic, funny time, you know, sweet time travel thing, but. Um, all I can say is that Captain Jan- Jack Randall, even his body was creepy. Don't you agree with that? Like, Yes, Liam. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. even that was just, even that was just, it wasn't even so much a turnoff as like a weird, creepy, like pale body with like skinny, weird arms and the long hair. Even that was creepy. So, mm-hmm. well, I thought the acting was good. I thought the writing was good. I'm sorry it was upsetting to you. I guess I should have warned you. But, you know, Julie, I think it did a lot for Gaelic as the language of angst and misery. So, yes, if you want to express anything terrible, Gaelic seems like the way okay. to go. This I, is think, very... I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on that. I'm going to find some Swedish word to 
to express myself, Liam. <laughs> okay. Well, that sadly ends Sister Sosnack. <laughs> Sorry, Julie. It wasn't my fault, Liam. I, I I was happy to go along. And I think there's a, there are a lot of other viewers that share my point of view. Like that you can slap up that NC-17 uh, sign, but that that does that's not the same. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, maybe time will heal. And maybe by the... <laughs> we'll see, Liam. We'll see. Maybe okay. by the time. Yeah, one thing they did not do in this episode that they do do in the book is there is like a physical, uh, you know, g- coming together of Jamie and Claire at the end of the book to kind of seal the healing. So okay. they did not go with that. They went no. with, you know, the, they had no time because the, they spent 45 minutes on the rape. Lane. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, mm, at least it's not as bad as sister Selfridge, is it? That's a good point. Lynn. Let's end on a high note. Okay. You're right. Lynn. It's not as bad as sister, as sister Selfridge. Okay. okay. <laughs> all right we're the satellite sisters who i don't know wait don't don't forget call your satellite sisters